Amen. Good morning, family. It's good to be here. Uh, I bring you greetings from the greatest city in the world, the center of the universe, Wooster. Uh, everybody, just get it out of your system. Just say Wooster once. Can you just feel the peace of God come on you when you mention that word? Um, so now, so it's an, it's an honor to be here. Um, it's, it feels like family straight away. Uh, just Ricky and the leaders and Brian and Heinz waving at me there at the back. It's good to be here. And um, so I just want to thank you. Thank you for being here this morning. But now in Wooster... We, we've got signs, we, you know, we've, uh, let me teach you one. This is the W, it stands for Wooster. Okay, so please turn to someone and just go Wooster. <laughs> and so uh, I've, I've learned that some people in Wooster, they've got a short attention span and so when we start losing a conversation, we just go, whatever. <laughs> okay, so please turn to someone and just go, whatever. <laughs> so I'm just teaching you some of the stuff we, we have in Worcester. Um, just so, so you know that Worcester is on the map, officially. We're on the map. We've got a mall there. And we've got Wi-Fi. And we've got Jesus, and so we've got everything we need. <laughs> and uh, as you can hear, English is not exactly the tongue of my mother. And, um, and so, uh, myself and Danelle and Ricky, we were having a discussion at the back of church before the first service about dogs. And um, Ricky was asking, what kind of dog do you have? I wanted to say a real dog. The mom and the dad is a dog. But, but Danelle said, we have a mutt. Are you familiar with that word? A mutt? Well, well I wasn't. <laughs> that's, that's how limited my English vocabulary is. I had English second language in school. And so um, I was saying, you know, as I know, we say, I lay up in mutt. It now means I'm lying on top of my dog. It's, so I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning. So in any case, it's good to be with you. And um, I believe we're going to have a good time in the Word. And we are going to read through Philippians 1, from verse 1 to verse 30. If you have your Bible here, uh, please open it up. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And... Um, Let's read. Let's keep in mind when we read the word, we're not reading a magazine, are we? We're not reading the newspaper. We are reading the word of God. And so when we read it, it's words um, that speak life to us. It's, it's food. It's bread to our souls. And when we read it, please, as we read, ask the Lord to show you which verses stand out for you. Um, through which verses does he want to speak to you? And I'll point out a few after we've read the chapter. Let's read. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for all of you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial God and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then only, that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor to me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in any, anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us words of life. Jesus, you said that man shall not live from bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this morning, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will speak to us, that you will show us 
and just impart into our lives through your life-giving word in Jesus' name. And everybody say, Amen. So here with seven observations from my side into this chapter, please go home, read it again, ask the Lord, what does he want to say to you through maybe another verse, but I'm going to pick seven and make some observations. First of all, first observation, what a great greeting. Paul says in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I live in a context where the word grace is sometimes taken out of context. It seems like there's a brand of Christianity where people want to use grace as an excuse to do sin. Does that make sense? You know, I, I did this by, by, my, by my intention, by my choice, but hey, I'm covered by grace, so I can continue with this because God will forgive me. And that's a, that's a false teaching, that's a heresy right there. When we hear the word grace, it is the Greek word charis, and it's where the word charismatic comes from, and it simply means God's kindness and His favor. Now, when we replace the word grace with kindness and favor, we now see that we are saved by God's kindness and favor through faith and not our own works. And when I read that word grace, it, it says to me God's kindness and his favor to not actually in his wrath and in his anger towards sin crush me when I do something wrong. It's God's kindness and His favor to turn around and repent and turn to God and lay aside my old sinful habitual life. If it wasn't for His grace and living by grace, we'll be in deep trouble. And so Paul starts off this letter and he says, I greet you with the kindness and the favor of our loving Father, but also with His peace. At the moment we're doing a series in Worcester, it's called uh, Things Jesus Said. And one of the things Jesus said, he said, I give you my peace, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. There is a peace that can only come from Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? <laughs> there is no amount of money in the bank or the size of your house or the, the bling of your bling that can bring a peace like as Jesus only can bring supernaturally in your life. And so Paul starts this letter as a dad, speaking to his children, saying just God's kindness and his favor on you, uh, God's peace in Christ Jesus. And this morning, I hope we can all say together, thank you, Paul. Uh, amen. We take that. Thank you. Thank you for starting your letter like that. A second observation is this. God is doing a good work in us. Verse 6, Paul says, For I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Folks, the Lord is saying to you this morning that I am doing, believe it or not, I'm doing a good work in you. I want you to find someone next to you and look them straight in the eye. Can you do that? Maybe you haven't done that for a while. You've been staring into some sort of media device this week, but now <laughs> you're going to stare into someone's eyes and say this. Repeat after me. God is doing a good work in you. You are not done. 
<laughs> he is turning you into the image of his son. Thank God. <laughs> hey, this is fun. Let's keep on doing this. <laughs> okay, let's, let's continue. Find someone, look them straight in the eye and say, you, God, God created you. He designed you. He made you. Thank God I don't look like you. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. God is doing... Put, take your hand like this, put it on your chest and say, God is doing a good work in me. And so often I... This is my wonderful wife, Danelle. Danelle can just wave at the people, say hello. Everybody say hi, Danelle. I, I, we got engaged and I caught the Danelle when I still had hair. Just want to say that. And so, um, so I often tell Danelle, lovey, you know, I know sometimes I pretend to be Superman. Who of you are married? If you're married, put up your hand. Any perfect husband, keep your hand up. Two, please come and take the mic. <laughs> I often say to my wife, lovey, you know, I'm... I may pretend to be Superman and perfect sometimes, but, but I'm not. God is still doing a good work in me. And I use it as an excuse, but sometimes it's the truth. It is the truth. God is still working in me. And this, we, we just had a few days break and we went to the sea and um, it was fantastic. I bride 10 evenings in a row. That is what proper Christians do. As a royal priesthood, we offer sacrifices of chicken and meat and torpies and vos unto the king. And so I love holidays. And so there were some kids in the street driving past our house and they were shouting at me, Hey, Uncle Taz, same supper every night. How boring. I would shout back, son, same fire every night, different supper. You'll understand when you're 14, you're really serving Jesus. <laughs> but one thing that happens during the holiday, is I would take long walks on the beach. And at some point, I will always sense the Lord saying to me, who are you? Who are you? Tell me who you are. And it's not because he had forgotten. It's not because he's confused. He wants to refresh me in my mind and in my spirit as to who I am. And the wrong answer is, Lord, I am the pastor. Actually, I'm a senior pastor. Just keep it in mind. When you're preparing for us in heaven, keep it in mind. The wrong answer is, Lord, look, look on my wall or my theological degrees, or my accolades. Lord, can, can we lock into the bank and then you check out my bank account? You want to ask me who I am? I'm a self-made man. Those are all the wrong answers. And I find myself being challenged by the Lord every holiday. And my reply is, Lord, I am your son. I'm a son of God. It makes me an heir with Christ. I'm part of your family. 
My dad died when I was one year old, but Lord, you are my father. I didn't have no example, but now I can look at you. And I'm, I'm convinced of this, that you are doing a good work in me, and you will bring it to completion. I'm not done. You're not you're not turning me into a, a super pastor or a this or a that or a, or a Billy Graham. You are turning me into the image of your son. The best version of me is the one who is dead and alive in Christ, being his son. You know, I sometimes, I've got to admit, I'm, I get a little bit irritated when I walk into Christian bookstores and, and, sorry, I'm not critical, but I see stuff like, your best life now. Seven steps to the best you. I, I don't know if I can take seven steps to the best me. I think it's a thousand steps. <laughs> but let me tell you, the best version of you is the dead one. The one who denied himself and picked up his cross and was following Jesus. Who is dead to his own dreams and ambitions and desires. The one who says, I'm dead to myself, alive for Christ. That's the best version of you. I want to write a book. It's going to be very cheap to publish. It's going to, it's going to be titled, uh, One Step to Be the Best You. It will say on page number one, Die Sucker. That's it. That's it. We have become so self-absorbed. Lord, my life, my future, my dreams, your plans for me. And it, it, it's like we've created this humanistic kind of brand of Christianity. Where, where when, when I read what Paul is saying and, and his joy of suffering, it, it's like we need to die. It's like the troopy from Wooster. He went to the army and uh, his sergeant said to him, Troopy, did you come here to die? And the troopy said, no, sir, I came here yesterday. <laughs> yes, sir, Ricky, I've got no idea where that came from. It wasn't in the first service. When, when I flow with the Holy Spirit, it means a whole lot of jokes come out, so I need to, I need to behave myself. Okay, we're having fun. Put your hand on your chest like this. Say, God is doing a good work in me. I want to encourage you to let him do that. Please open your heart and your life to God. I found that the Lord works in me through his word. When I open my Bible, it's the life-giving words of God to me. I found that He works in my life through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit reminds us of the words of Jesus. It leads us in truth. It guides us in truth. I have found that the Lord works in my life through other people. He uses leaders. He uses friends. He uses a spiritual family. The Lord even uses sinners in my life to make me more like Jesus. I have found that he uses trials and tribulation, hardship to build his character in me and to test my faith. And he instructs us in James 1, he says, consider it pure joy when trials of many kinds come your way because the testing of your faith will produce perseverance. And when perseverance has finished its work, you will be complete, mature, lacking nothing. Doesn't that sound good? 
Who wants to be complete, mature, lacking nothing? The road there is difficult. It's through trial and tribulation and hardship. Building the spiritual muscle to run the race with faith and endurance. A third observation was God wants us to abound in love. Philippians 1 verse 9, and it is my prayer, so Paul is praying for this church, for the people. He says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Whenever we read the word love in the Bible, four different meanings to it, four different Greek words. The first one is agape, which is God's kind of love. The second one is phileo, which is brotherly love. Thirdly, uh, eros, which is a sexual love. It's where the word erotic comes from. And then a word storge, which is friendship love, which is not in the Bible. But this one specifically is agape. It's God's kind of love. And Paul says, I'm praying for you that God's love and his kind of love will abound in your life more and more. Folks, let's be honest. We live in South Africa. We've got ample opportunity to find a way to not love. And people are doing it, and it's destroying our country, and it's destroying society. What will happen to our country? What will happen to our cities and our communities and our families when we truly let the agape love of God infiltrate our lives and our hearts and the way we deal with one another? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be supernatural and powerful? I can remember um, about a few years ago, we were still living in George, and we were uh, pastoring at the church there, and I was driving from George to Hartenbos. And there's this long downhill stretch of road, and I was thinking about the fact that I, I didn't have a father, but I've got a heavenly father, and, and he's so big and almighty and powerful, yet he has the time to attend to my life, and I'm so small here on earth, and it was completely overwhelming. So I stopped my car on the side of the road. I got out. I stared over the ocean, and I just I cried. And I said, Lord, can it be that you love me so much that you sit up with my nonsense and all the detail that doesn't matter in the world that I pray about? You've got to hear all of that all day. And yet you love me with an unconditional love. And Paul is praying and he's saying, I'm, I'm praying that, that that unconditional, all-powerful love that that will be revealed in you and in your heart. 1 John 3 verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. We are His sons and daughters. The NIV version uses a nice word. It says, um, look at the love the Father has lavished on us. Nou kijk, as jy Afrikaans is, die woord lavish, hy klink lekker. Lavish. <laughs> I sometimes walk up to my wife and say, Lovey, can I just lavish my love on you? Opimat. But that's now on the dog. It's confusing. But anyway, stay with me. 
But folks, you know, as, as we're having fun this morning and as we're laughing, God is a loving Father that really wants to lavish His love on you and in you and into your life. And it's filled with joy and peace that money cannot buy and it's not depending on the things of this world. A fourth observation for me was Paul's obvious passion for the gospel. Paul mentions the word gospel six times in this chapter. Verse 5, he speaks about partnering and partnership in the gospel. Verse 7, the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Verse 12, the advance of the gospel. Verse 14, to proclaim the gospel without fear. Verse 27, let your manner of life be worthy of this gospel, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. It's quite clear that Paul has got this passion for this gospel message. So what is it? What makes a man like that so passionate about it? And it's simply this. The gospel is simply the message that God created us to have a relationship with Him and walk with Him and have fellowship with Him. But that was interrupted by sin and we were separated from God. Now He loves us so much that He sent His Son to bear uh, our sins and, 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 and live the life we should have lived and die the death we should have died and take our sin away so we can be reconciled with our Father. One of the benefits is, yes, we don't go to hell. We get eternal life. We get to go to heaven. But the Father's mission was to reconcile His created kids, His children, His sons and His daughters with Him. Part of the spin-off of that is we get eternal life. But Jesus really came to restore us in that relationship, and that's the gospel. It's the good spell. It's the good news. I want you to turn to someone and just say this, the gospel is good news. Let us, let us go further and actually say the gospel is the best news. It is the only message that matters. Now let me tell you what irritates me. People are so focused on the 70 or the 80 or the 90 years we've got on earth. And they forget to prepare for eternity thereafter. Have you thought about eternity? Sometimes I sit and I think about eternity and I get this funny colleague of my mark. It just keeps on going and going forever and ever and ever and ever. Have you thought about that? It's too big to understand. But that's where we will spend once you die or when Jesus comes back. Now the gospel message is the only message that can prepare people for the, when that moment arrives and you cannot change your mind, you cannot backtrack on your life, you need to make your decision today. So I can remember we, we went on a worship team camp at Nature's Valley a few years ago and one of the team members' husband, he had a heart attack on the beach. We gave him CPR, we prayed for him, we put our faith together to rise him up from the dead, nothing happened and he died. I can remember sitting with him on the beach with his feet in my hand and it's turning from gray to blue to, it's just dead. And I was saying to myself, when this moment arrives, for all of us, 
you cannot take anything with you. And when you face the king of kings, when, when, when you get there, he's not going to ask you what title is front, in front of your name. Let's go to internet banking and let's go and see how much money have you got in the bank. What did you achieve? What prizes did you win? How many likes did you get on Facebook? He's going to ask you one question. Did you accept my son and the sacrifice and accept him as Lord of your life? And that's the gospel message. I can understand that Paul is passionate about that because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. If you want to see power, simply take the gospel message, go and share it with someone, and see real power happening. An invisible God touching someone, saving his life, regenerating him right there, becoming a new person. That's power. And, and sometimes we live in this uh, uh, charismatic perception that, 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 that power must just be this miracle and this healing and that resurrection. And, that, and I'm for that and we see that and I'm involved in deliverance. I speak to demons and I cast them out. That's, that's standard stuff. But what does it help anybody that he goes to hell healed? Does it make sense? Often I see video clips on YouTube. We just prayed for this guy and he's now healed and there he goes off on the pavement. I'm like, who shared the gospel? He's going to go to hell healed. And that's all. What about the real power? The power of the gospel. The pure message of salvation in Christ. I'm so thankful that in 1993, someone came to my school sat us down as youngsters and just spoke the truth plainly and straightforward to us. I went home, said to the Lord, I am lost in my sin. I'm on my way to hell. Can you please help me? And so I opened my Bible at Ecclesiastes. This prediker for you, Afrikaans. Ecclesiastes 4. And I read that verse. It says, two is better than one. I got saved on that verse. <laughs> This who owns a role in Wooster. <laughs> I want to say a word and then you check in your heart. How do you feel about this? You ready? Cancer. What does that make you feel like? Let me tell you one thing. I hate cancer. I hate the sound of that word. I hate to see what it does to people. I hate cancer. What if I said to you that, folks, today in my pocket, I've got the final 100% cure for cancer. It's right here. If we had this in our grasp, what would we do? We would run to it, to every family member, every friend, Elka Uman, Opa Conquer, we will just run to them straight, wouldn't we? Folks, the gospel is the message that can do more than that and is more powerful. I think it's high time that us that we realize what we're dealing with. 
and how important that message is. When I read Philippians, I see Paul, he got it. He got it. I think we need to get it as well. A fifth observation is, is, is Paul's obvious complete surrender to Christ. Paul says this in verse 20, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that, will, that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ. When I read that, I, I, I see a complete surrender to Christ. Paul is actually just saying, listen, I'm living flat out for Christ. The best version and the most significant life of me is, is to live for Christ. I'm most alive when I'm surrendered and focused on Christ. You know, some people, they go to extreme uh, measures to, to just experience a bit of adrenaline and a bit of life. I don't know if you've seen these crazy guys uh, jumping with wingsuits off mountains. And some of them crash badly. If God wanted you to fly, He'll give you wings. You're supposed to sit in front of a fire. And then someone discovered mountain biking and then the whole of everybody got mountain biking obsessed and, you know, a bike used to be a 1,000 rand and now it's a 100,000 rand for a fit. Someone's ripping you off, by the way. But, uh, but now you go on YouTube and you see guys with mountain bikes going off the top peak of mountains or crazy. I mean, where is it going to end? You can only ride that high. You can only fly that fast. It's going to stop somewhere. And you're going to sit in your lounge, all bored, asking yourself, can I, for God's sake, experience some real life somewhere? And only Jesus can give you that. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. The, the word life is the word zoe. It means life active and vigorous. There is a life that Jesus wants to give you that he only can give you, and it's supernatural. And it's not connected to anything on this earth. It's supernatural. It's from Him. He said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I want to come and give you life abundantly. John 1 verse 4, John says that, that in Him was life, and that life was the light of men. There's a life that Jesus wants to give you. And Paul, he got it. He said, for me to live is Christ. I want to experience that life. I want to be focused on Him. And when I die, it's really a bonus because then I'm going to be with Him. How do you feel about death? Will, will that be profit to you? Will that be gain? Are you excited to meet Jesus? <laughs> Some people are extremely fearful for death. But for us, it's just transitioning from eternal life here, knowing Jesus, into eternal life with Him. My second last observation was living a life worthy of the gospel. Philippians 1 verse 27, Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul is saying, we've got this message. It's the most important message you can ever think of. It will save lives. It will prepare people for eternity. It will reconcile people, sons and daughters, with their Father God. And while you're still on earth for 70 or 80 or 90 years, you can live a highly purposeful and, 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 and significant life, but you will be with your Father for eternity. This is the message, the gospel we're walking with. And now Paul is saying, can you please, for God's sake, live a life that will back that up? I've found the easiest way to deal with sin. And I don't want to sound arrogant. But a lot of people struggle with sin. And it keeps them from really living a life worthy of the gospel. So that you, it keeps you from having confidence and walking into society and into your family and into business and your career. Just saying, I'm an ambassador for God. You want to you meet with God? Come and speak to me. I'm his son. I carry his presence. You want to taste what God is like? Come and have coffee with me. I'll show you what he's like. And, and we don't walk with that confidence because simply sin creeps into your life and it keeps you just from walking with that confidence. And it's not arrogance. It's not pride. It's a, it's a, it's a biblical, godly confidence for his sons and his daughters. And so we need to deal with sin. I found an easy way. Are you ready? I'm going to share it with you. Stop. Wasn't that a revelation? Stop. I often have guys coming to me. Are you really? Yes. How come? So let me get this straight. Did someone strap you to a chair? He bound up your feet and your hands and then he stuck pornography in your face and he put matches in your eyelids so you couldn't close your eyes and he made you watch pornography. Let me, I've got a solution for you, sir. You know what you should do? Take that phone, smash it into a thousand pieces on the floor. That will help you get free from pornography. Take 150 bucks, go to Builders Express, buy a 10-pound hammer, and smash your iPad, iPhone, computer thing into pieces. Make apple juice out of your apple. <laughs> That's what you need to do. And if all else fails, go and buy insulation tape and just tape your eyes closed then. Ask your wife to feed you. But do whatever you can and what you need to do to get rid of it and stop it and run away. And sometimes we're very, yes, and Jesus helps us. And, and I understand addiction and demonic oppression and all of that. But sometimes we can just be really free if we just stop. I'm convinced that that this church will make a difference in this city because you're going to live a life that will back up the message of the gospel and in the end, honor our King and our Father and our Lord. A life worthy of the gospel is a life that will in no way hinder the message of the gospel reaching everybody. 
It is a life which seeks to partner in the gospel, defend the gospel, confirm the gospel, advance the gospel, and proclaim the gospel. I think one of the saddest things are people who reach the age of 70, 80, 90, and sit on the stoop and stare out on the ocean and ask, what was God's plan for me? That's sad. The reason why it's sad is because Jesus 2,000 years ago revealed to you what his plan is for you, and it's to go, not sit and make, not wait, disciples, not churchgoers. And as we step out in obedience, taking this precious gospel with the love of God and the grace and the peace that goes with it, we will start touching people's lives and you will reach the age of 70 and 80 and 90 and look back on it and say, Lord, that was such a highly fulfilled, fruitful, significant and purposeful life. The problem is we sit and we watch and we wait for something uh, uh, spectacular or celebrity-ish to happen. I just created a new word, didn't I? Celebrity-ish. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's celebrity-ish. <laughs> the reason why God has not revealed to you what he wants you to do is because you're not obeying which he has given us to do 2,000 years ago. Preach the gospel. Make disciples. Go, baptize, teach. And if God can trust you with one person, maybe he will trust you with more. Maybe he will call you for some kind of sort of ministry, but I can promise you God would have never called me if I wasn't faithful in sharing the gospel with my sinful mate when I was still at school in 1993. Where am I? Living a life worthy of the gospel. Lastly, Paul speaks about suffering for his sake. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, which is what most of us do, we believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for his sake. That's a privilege. That's an honor. Paul speaks to the Philippians and he says, it's been granted to you, that, that honor and, and, and that privilege is to suffer for me. And I've, I've found so many Christians thinking that the Christian life is one of, if you really get down to the crux of it, God's serving my needs. And it's all about me. And sometimes, you know, I, I, meet, I met with someone who said to me, you know, God doesn't answer my prayers like this, and God's not doing that, and God's not doing this, and God's not that. And I said, I challenged him. I said to him, listen, friend, who is in the center of your life? It sounds like you. You seem to live a self-centered life and Christ is on the outside and, and you just want to use and abuse him to, for you. God's not working on your comfort. He's working on your character. God's not on a mission to sort out your comfort. He's on a mission to sort out your character to turn you more into the image of his son. Because if he can get that done, you will walk with confidence in this life representing God as an ambassador, as a son as a bearer of his spirit and his power and his character, 
and we will be highly effective. And it's going to take suffering. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name. Blessed are you when you are falsely accused on my account. Jesus said, they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Jesus said, they hated me, they will hate you. Being a Christian is not a popularity contest. It's walking with the presence of our God, with this precious message of the gospel, denying yourself, taking up your cross, following Jesus, imitating him, listening to his words, following the leading of his spirit, imitating his character, being cognizant of how he dealt with people. And so I want to challenge you this morning, and I'm going to close off with that, is simply this. Are you willing, are you willing to surrender to the work that Christ is doing in you? I have the privilege to kind of, I don't know how this tougher message came out of Philippians 1. Maybe the other chapters will be easier. Ricky, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me and all the nice stuff. And so, now verstaan ook om jylle hoofstuk in vir die woester ou gegeet. Because I can preach the stuff, the tough guy, and I'm going to get in my car and drive off. But I want to say this. Please accept this word in love. The love of the Father for His children. I'm, I'm trying to influence and exhort, is that the right word? You to, to, a, to a higher level. A level of no compromise. Complete surrender to Christ. If you die to yourself and you surrender to Christ, that's the best version of you. And I pray this morning that you will have the guts and that you will have the courage to, to truly surrender to Jesus. That you will be able to go home and say, for me, to live, it's Christ. I don't want to live for anything else. Yes, I've got a wife and I've got kids. You've got a career, you've got family. All of those things are important. But when we put Christ first, His love, His knowledge, His spirit flows out of that relationship into my marriage, into my relationship with my kids, into my work, my family, my destiny, my career. You were made to have Christ right in the middle of me. I pray that you will have the guts to surrender completely.